Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is in prison, and he writes to the Philippians to thank them for their support and for their comfort, and he wants to also comfort them in the gospel. Now again, this is a stark contrast to what we see in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, the Romans were being persecuted, the Romans were suffering, and Paul was comforting the Romans who were suffering with the gospel. In Philippians, Paul is the one doing the suffering. Paul is in prison in Rome, waiting to be heard in the court of Caesar, and waiting to have the determination made whether he will live or whether he will be executed. Yet staring death in the face and dealing with the hardships of incarceration, the Apostle Paul is able to provide comfort and encouragement to others. How is that possible? It's possible because of the gospel and the power that the gospel had in the life of Paul and the power that the gospel has in our lives. And as the Apostle Paul provides comfort and encouragement to the Philippians, he goes right back to what he used to comfort the Romans, and that is the gospel. The theme is the same. It's the central theme. And if you are going through a hard time, you are going through suffering, you are going through affliction, the comfort that God offers to you is in the gospel. But also, if you are going through hard times, you are going through affliction, you are going through suffering, you can still comfort others in the gospel and because of the power of the gospel. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul implores the Philippians to fulfill his joy by showing unity and love in the gospel. He wants them to show unity. He wants them to show love. He wants them to demonstrate with their lives the power the gospel has had upon them. 
And in verse 16, he tells them to hold fast to the word of life so that he can be proud of the work that he did with them. The Apostle Paul does not want to go to heaven to find out that the Philippians weren't really saved. He doesn't want to go to heaven to find out that nothing he did really mattered, that the gospel didn't really change anything. He wants to be assured that the sacrifices that he has made has been worth it, that it worked, that it did what it was supposed to do, that he preached the right message, the people believed the right thing, and the gospel transformed them. And he's imploring them to allow the gospel to transform them. And he wants to see the physical manifestations of that. That's some King James language for you. He wants to see proof in the way that they live in this life that the gospel is taking hold. Now, this is not pride or arrogance. You're like, that's awfully arrogant to Paul to say, hey, I want you to, to validate my ministry so I can be proud of myself. And I, that, okay, if I say that, that's arrogance, okay? But Paul says it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so in this case, it's not arrogance. We can take the lesson, and the lesson that we should take from this is not wanting to validate ourselves by the way other people live and behave. That's trying to glory in other people's flesh. That's what Paul calls out in the book of Galatians. The lesson we take from Paul's plea to the people to show how the gospel has transformed them. The lesson we take from that is that if the gospel has taken hold of your life, there should be a tangible change. There should be visible evidence of a gospel transformation. So Paul wants us, scripture wants us, God wants us to experience that transformation. How do we experience and demonstrate that change? Paul goes through that process in these verses here. The first thing is we have to have humility. Humility is the fundamental hallmark of a life that has been transformed by the gospel. You must have humility. Second, in order to have humility, because you can't just go out there, okay, I'm humble today. You know what, Jessica, I woke up to Addison, I'm going to be humble from now on. I'm humble. I'm humble. I'm more humble than Josh. I'm humble and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Now that's, that's, now we're missing the boat, okay? So you can't just reach out and seize humility. Humility is a fruit of the Spirit. And so humility has to be developed within you. Okay, well, so I can't just, poof, there's a flower. I have to cultivate a flower. I have to have the soil. I have to water. I have to fertilize. I have to plant the seed, okay? So we've got to cultivate this flower of humility. How do we do that? We have to have the mind of Christ. We have to have the mind of Christ. That's the second step. And the third step is to allow God to work in your life. So the first thing we learn is that we have to have humility. What does this look like? In verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let's have a proper definition of humility. The scripture defines it, but let's dig into this a little bit. Humility. Y'all ever watch the Waltons? Y'all remember that show? Do you remember when their house burned down? And the, 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 the house fire was apparently the fault of one of the girls, accidental, but it is what it is. 
And so she decided she'd live the rest of her life in humility. And she dressed in gray. And she's like, oh, humility. No, that's not humility. Humility is not self-degradation. Humility is not lack of self-esteem, the destruction of self-esteem. It is not depression. It is not melodramatic, manic depressant. That's not humility. What humility is, is self-awareness. Humility is seeing how you fit into the big picture. You see, you don't outgrow the picture. The picture is not beneath you. And the picture is not about you. One of the signs of maturity is the realization that the world is not about you. When a child is born, a baby is born, that baby's world centers around itself. Mom exists for me. Dad exists for me. The cradle exists for me. The toys, the bottle, the pacifier, it all exists for me. The, to the, the, the birthday party exists for me. The Christmas party exists for me. Santa Claus exists for me. And that's the way an infant and a toddler live. And if you've ever raised an infant, if you've ever raised a toddler, you know this to be true. When you are two years old, when you are three years old, this is just natural thinking and brain development. The world centers around you. It all exists for you. But as you grow, you learn that other people have feelings too. You learn that other people have their worlds and their universes as well. And, and you learn that it's not all about you. And that you learn that when you go to preschool. And that's a hard lesson to learn. That's why I didn't like preschool. And it's enforced when you go to kindergarten. The hallmark of humility and the hallmark of maturity is being self-aware. Understanding that you're not above the picture. This is not your picture. And that the picture is not about you. But that the picture is bigger than you. And you're just a part of the picture. And you're an important part of the picture. But you're just part of the picture. Humility is about seeing others as being important parts of the picture. Humility is not selfish. It's not self-absorbed. Nor is humility ambitious. Humility doesn't seek to make the picture about them. Humility is not selfish. Humility regards others. Humility sees others as more valuable than themselves. Humility is able to look at things from the perspective of the other person. Humility is a hallmark of the gospel-transformed life. The flesh, natural thinking, natural feelings, the flesh is pride. Look at me. I'm important. This is how this makes me feel. This is what makes me think. This is what makes me tick. This is what I want. This is what brings me fulfillment. This is what makes me happy. This is what makes me sad. This is what triggers me. This is what upsets me. This is what makes me concerned. This is why I don't like this. This is why the pride is flesh. It's all about me. It's all about me and how it makes me feel. And social media has amplified this in the lives of just about everybody. You can't go on Facebook without seeing how something made somebody else feel. The, the, the flesh is pride, and pride is all about me. And why aren't y'all making me better? Right? Why could, how could y'all do this to me? You see what I'm saying? That, that's, that's the flesh. That's pride. The flesh is desire. I want more. I deserve more. 
I want to have it my way. I want to eat that. I want to drive that. I want to live there. I want to have this. The flesh seeks itself. The flesh seeks its own interest. The flesh seeks its advancement over others. But the very act of the gospel, how Jesus Christ came to this earth, how he died for our sins, how he was buried, and how he rose again, the very act of the gospel was the exact opposite. It was humble. It was selfless. Thus, if your life has been or is being transformed by the gospel, then you will emulate the humility of Christ. It won't be about you anymore. It won't be about your desires anymore. It won't be about advancing you anymore. If your life has been transformed by the gospel, you still have self-esteem. You still take care of yourself. You still love yourself, but it's not about you anymore. It's about those around you. And what are you doing for those around you? Humility is a hallmark of the gospel-transformed life. And to illustrate how this works, Paul goes on to write in verse 4, Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. Be aware of your interest. Be aware of your needs. Be aware of your background. That's all well and good. The Bible doesn't say ignore your needs. The Bible does not say ignore your interest. The Bible does not say ignore your background or your frame of reference or how things affect you. What the Bible says is be aware of that, but also look on the interest of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That means to be aware of others' interests, to be aware of others' needs, to be aware of others' backgrounds. And so when we're, taught, when we're fellowshipping with each other, I know how things affect me. How do they affect you? I need to be aware of that. What are your needs? What are, you, what are you needing to deal with? What are you facing? What are you battling? I need to know that. Y'all need to know what I'm battling. But I need to know what y'all are battling. Backgrounds, frame of references. Am I, am I, I, was, I was preaching or teaching. Um, I just lost the verse. But basically... The verse was talking about how we can endure all things through Christ. And what verse was that? Anyway, to illustrate the verse, I told the story of Quezon, the Battle of Vietnam. How the Marines learned at Quezon that they could stay anywhere as long as they wanted to. And I found out that I had a Vietnam veteran in my congregation that day, and he was at Quezon. So to be, a, to be aware of his interests, his needs, his background, I knew that Vietnam War references to illustrate Bible points were no longer on the menu because I do not want to take him back to that place. Now, he did not raise a fuss. He did not cause any problems. He told us the story, and he shared some, some scriptural truths with us as well. But I became aware of his background. I, I, I learned how to look on his needs, and he learned to look on my needs, and we got along good. And so that's what verse 4 is telling us. Not to be consumed with your own needs, your own interests, your own background, but to also be aware of others. All right? That's what humility is. Seeing how you fit into the overall picture. Amen. Secondly, to have that humility 
we need to have the mind of Christ. Some of those powerful verses in Scripture right here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And calling us to humility, Scripture is calling us to this mindset that was in Christ Jesus. This mindset that motivated Jesus Christ to come to the cross to pay for our sins. To humble himself in the form of a servant. To take on the form of a peasant in his day. To have to work hard for a living. To have to deal with difficult people. To suffer at the hands of man. To have his own creation curse him and beat him and betray him. To suffer at the hands of the Romans. To go to the cross. To be nailed to the cross. And as he's nailed to the cross to endure the wrath of God that we deserve, that's our, that was ours to take, he took it upon himself. The mindset that Jesus had to go to the cross, to suffer, to lay down his life, they did not overpower him. They did not over, overrun him with numbers. When the soldiers showed up, he said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And the entire army fell down backwards. Just to make sure we haven't messed this up, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. They fall backwards again. He says, who are you looking for? Tell you what, I'm going to go with you. Y'all let these other guys go. The mind of Christ, that his mission was so huge, but yet he was still concerned about those 12 that followed him. That's the mind of Christ. Just as Jesus was not motivated by selfish ambition or conceit, neither should we be motivated by selfish ambition or conceit. Just as Christ looked not only on his own interest, but on ours also and our need for redemption, so should we also look on each other's interest. Just as Christ laid down his life for us, so should we lay down our lives for each other. Like Leland, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? Lay down your lives for each other. I'm not saying that we're going to have to go to the crosses, go to the, the execution chambers. I'm saying we should live for each other. Amen. I'm saying that we should want to better each other and help each other. It's easy for me to say I would die for my family, but am I willing to live for them? Am I willing to sacrifice for them? Are we willing to sacrifice for each other? Just as Christ was raised up and exalted by God, so shall God raise us up who know him. And so we should trust that and believe that. Self-sacrifice for each other is a hallmark of the gospel-centered life. These are all identifiers of the mind of Christ. It's how he thought. And it's how the Apostle Paul 
is training the Philippians to think. And it's how we should be taught ourselves, how we should teach ourselves, and how this church should teach us how to think. We must have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ brings humility. Humility is the hallmark of the gospel-transformed Christian life. And as we do this, we should allow God to work in our lives. Verse 12 can be a problematic verse if you read it out of context, so we're going to read it in context. We're going to look at verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't be troubled by those words, work out your own salvation. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Not me, not you. It's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Working out your own salvation does not mean working for your own salvation. It does not mean completing your own salvation. It does not mean figuring out your own salvation. It simply means to humbly allow God to work in your life. It means to submit to the transformative work that God is doing. It means to see that God is working in your life and to trust that. And it means to see the purpose and perspective of what's going on in your life and seeing that in light of the transformative work that God is doing in your life. That's what it means to work out your own salvation. It means to experience it. It means to see it. It means to believe it. It means to trust it. You're not doing the work. You're enduring a lot. It's hard. No argument there, but you're not doing the work. God is doing the work. The Apostle Paul is telling them to allow God to do the work. And this also means to recognize that it is God who is working. It is God who is working. How much has God transformed you through the gospel? We've messed this up over the years. I say we because I have preached this stuff over the years. That how transformed you are depends on how you live, how righteous, how, how restrictive, how repressed, how legalistic you can live. This is how you can tell how well you have been transformed. The more Christ-like you become, the fewer movies you watch. The more Christ-like you become, the less fried chicken you eat. Boy, we Baptists have fallen from grace on that one, have we not? The more Christ-like you are, the less you say cuss words. The more Christ-like you are, the less you drink alcoholic beverages. The more Christ-like you are, the more you read the King James Version and not some other version of the Bible. The more Christ-like you are, go down the list of everything you've been told you have to do and everything you've been told you can't do, okay? Go down the list. And what we have taken from, what, what we have done is we have said, if I'm more Christ-like, I'm more like this. And, the, and, and, and we check off our qualifications. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss. I, I okay, I'm not going to lie about that one. I don't watch anything greater than a G-rated movie. Uh, and I've sworn off of Pixar and I'm boycotting Disney. I, I, I am there. You know what that is? That's pride. That's look at me. That's look at what I've done. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that you should cuss. I'm not saying that you should drink alcohol. I'm not saying that you should watch Disney movies. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not even addressing it. 
What I'm saying is that's not how you see the transformation. When you're looking at what I've done and my righteousness and how I have changed my life, that's pride. That's the opposite of what Paul is telling us to do here. What he's saying is to allow God to transform you, to allow God to make you into the person he intended on you being. And the way you allow that and the hallmark of the fact that this is working is that you have humility. That you see the importance of everyone around you and you see how you fit into the picture. And to have that humility, you have to have that mind of Christ. That mind of humility, that mind of self-sacrifice, that mind of love, that, lo- that mind of concern, that mind that totally ignored what would be easy and good for him in order to redeem us, in order to transform us, in order to welcome us into his kingdom. We, we need that same mindset, and the presence of that mindset is evidence of the work that God is doing in your life and that the transformation is happening. And so we need to allow that to happen. It is not, the, the, the message of grace is not that anything goes, drink up. The message of grace is that I don't deserve. I'm going to be thankful for what I've got. The message of the gospel is that my redemption and transformation is not based on how great I am, but how great God is and how dedicated he is to my betterment, my transformation, my redemption, and my being welcomed into his kingdom. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about him 100%. And so this morning I encourage you, as you go through life, Put those Philippians chapter 2 glasses on. Look on each other's needs. Look on each other's interests. Look on the interests of those around you. Their backgrounds. Understand how you fit into the picture. Understand how you play in their pictures. Whether you're fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters here at this church or other brothers and sisters in Christ who go to different churches or whether you're ordering a cheeseburger at the fast food restaurant. Have that same mindset. And watch God work the transformation in your life and make your testimony effective that it advances the gospel.